Welcome to Mulk's TV Talk, the podcast where we take a loving, longing look at TV and tell you this week, Guy Sebastian was announced as the Australian artist performing as our entry in the 60th Eurovision Song Contest. The increasingly incorrectly named competition has given Australia a wildcard entry and the naming of Sebastian has fueled growing fears we may actually win. What then, Australia? Malk's TV Talk. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and joining me this week, a man who has found every opportunity to perform or get his face on TV, be it as a part of Romper Room, a scouting gang show, the Ronnie Johns Half Hour, as the co-host of Hungry Beast or Can of Worms, or now as a senior producer for Al Jazeera Plus. He's worked on campaigns for Get Up and courted controversy with his comedy show Beaconsfield the Musical, Songs in the Key of A-Flat Minor. It's Australian TV royalty, Dan Illick. Hello, Dan. <laughs> Australian TV royalty? Everybody if, is Australian TV royalty. Steve, uh, Mulkey, if I was Australian TV royalty, I'd still be in Australia on TV. <laughs> no, I'm you definitely could be if, in if, South if, Africa on TV <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> good point, good point. If I was Australian TV royalty, I'd be in South Africa on TV in Australia. Mm. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not Australian TV. I'm, I'm Australian TV uh, rat baggery. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Australian TV's forgotten about me. They're, they're over me now. They don't care. I'm too old. You've moved on to a whole broad new spectrum of television. Yeah, no, AJ Plus is really exciting. It's kind of this um, radical experiment uh, on how to kind of reach millennials with the news. So it's super exciting. I'm learning a lot about engagement and uh, crafting content for online and crafting content to really try and grab online audiences and, and get them engaged in, in issues and news and, and stuff like that. So uh, uh, it's based out of San Francisco. So it's in the heart of Silicon Valley and it's giving me a lot of space to experiment and a lot of, ex- a lot of fun kind of um, uh, opportunities to kind of combine news mm. and comedy, which is, which is kind of my forte. So I'm, I'm very excited. There aren't many opportunities unless you're the chaser who seem to have <laughs> a, a wonderful contract with the ABC, Sean McAuliffe, uh, Charlie Pickering, uh, or anyone else on Australian TV that combines news <laughs> with jokes. Uh, basically, I'm not any of those. Uh, I'm not in any of those guys' teams. So unfortunately, I can't have a TV show to do my own stuff. So I have to come overseas to do it, which is fine. That's fine. And, and look, mind you, you did just point out all of the shows that you mentioned before. They're all on the ABC. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, yeah. There's like News with Jokes, um, which is uh, the which is the project. Yes. Uh, and then there's Jokes about the news. Um, and then that's uh, and that's uh, and that's all those other shows. And so I think my my kind of stuff is is the news told via jokes, which is a whole nother category. Well, you know, and then the fourth one that you completely forgot, news that is a joke, which is the Bolt Report. <laughs> well, he serves a purpose. I'm not sure what that purpose is. Well, you know, if you, if you are a rich billionaire miner and you have, uh, you have a seat on a network, you might as well get someone like Andrew on. Oh, here's, yes. a, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing about Andrew Bolt. People give him so much shit. But I can tell you, I've worked with Andrew Bolt. I did a pilot with him and he mm. is a delightful, charming man. And I would love, he's the kind of guy I would, I would easily ha- sit down and have a red wine with. He's, he's a really nice bloke. Um, I don't agree with what he writes sometimes, most of the time. Um, but he's, yeah, he's, he's a charming guy. So he's nice enough to enjoy a, a cheeky red with, but as soon as we start to get into anything that's a little bit topical, 
we need to walk away. Well, yeah, I might need to walk away. I might need to go and you know sh- towel off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same, but he's like, look, he, you know, I'm. I am defending Andrew Bolt. I think he is. Uh, I think he's he's a talent. He's a charming talent. Wow. Well, we've we've started in with the best controversy possible. That's going to be the byline for this episode. Yeah. Dan Illick Twitter. endorses Dan, Andrew Bolt. Dan Illick loves Andrew Bolt. <laughs> I nice. don't necessarily uh, agree with what he says, but I defend his right to say it. That's eerie, Dan. So eerie. Uh, well. What a great place for us to transition. Let's have a look at what's been happening in the week in Australian television. Let's have a look at this. Locks TV Talk. But first, the news. The cast of Sunrise went to Hawaii for commercial benefit to the Seven Network and <laughs> in some small part to celebrate co-host David Koshy Kosh's birthday. That's, there's too many bits in that. Koshy-sus. Hundreds of Aussies jumped it was a, the chairs. It was a Koshkofony. Oh, wow. Wow. It was a Koshkofony of... Hundreds of Aussies jumped at the chance to travel to the island state to see David, Sam, Nat, Barrett, the cash cow, and the entire Sunrise crew. They doing... didn't. <laughs> they did. They paid to be on the plane with them. Oh, you know what's so great? I've been out of Australia for three months, and so you telling me this is news to me. Keep going. <laughs> this is great. Right. And the entire Sunrise crew to do exactly the same thing they do in the Martin Place studios <laughs> just now with Lays On. <laughs> Nine's Today Show counted by touring Australia for a week, travelling to metropolises, metropoli, such as Launceston and Bendigo, saying as as much about their audience as it does their budget. (laughs) Oh, that is so funny. I've never, I I couldn't, that's really great. You know, the best thing about morning shows um, when they go overseas is that they don't have to actually, that's actually to give themselves a break. They don't actually have to get up. Um, at Sparrow's Fart mm. uh, to do the show. They could just get up like a normal human being and turn up to work at 9 o'clock like everyone else. It's <laughs> yeah, super easy. That's right, because Hawaii, to hit that 6 o'clock start button for sunrise makes it like 11 a.m., 10 midday. It's easy as. Yeah, easy. You do it on your ear. Yeah. And, and there's all sorts of other controversy flying around with that, Dan, that uh, Nat and Sam were flown in a private jet around Hawaii to go and do some filming and all sorts of crazy stuff. Well, I, I can't believe it. Who is Sam? Uh, Sam Armitage. Oh, Sam Armitage. Right, Mel right, Doyle. right, right. This is the one that no one likes. Yes, oh, allegedly. I, I read that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and even more controversial, Carl Stefanovic has come out and said, quote, Sunrise is un-Australian by going outside of the country to film this when they could be doing what we're doing, going around Australia and supporting local business. I love that. It's, it's become, um, in America, where I'm living at the moment, there are red states and there are blue states. The red mm. states are Republicans, the blue states are Democrats. And, and just as polarising in Australia, we have Sunrise viewers and Today <laughs> viewers. Uh, and you can really, you know, people in, people in this country, they drive around the neighbourhoods and they look Look at the lawn signs about which which one of their neighbours is supporting. If the, if their neighbours are going to be supporting Republicans, they will move house to where uh, to where if they're if they're Democrats to a Democratic neighbourhood. That's how people choose houses here, and oh. that's what I think should happen in Australia. You need to put a sunrise <laughs> sign in the lawn of your of your front lawns, so and people know that you're a sunrise viewer. Or you need to push. You need to put a cash brick, bricky, bricky on the front lawn of your lawns, so people know that you're Australian. It's called Blocky. Blocky. Oh, fuck. I don't know. <laughs> Bricky. Go to me. Bricky's better. Bricky's more Australian. 
Ah, uh, Bricky. I love Bricky. Yeah, good old Bricky the block of cash. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually a bit biased to today because I do love today. Um, my friend Sylvia is uh, is a newsreader on today, yes. and uh, I'm good friends with her. And I'm excited. I'm excited that she when she got that job. And but here's the thing: she's been filling in in that role over the last three years, and was never deemed a celebrity. But the moment she actually got that job for real, she yes. instantly somehow turned into the publicity machine. Instantly turned her into a celebrity. The moment you're on the front cover of the Woman's Day Puzzle magazine, that's when you become true. <laughs> Truly, truly Australian TV royalty. And I've never made that. It's crazy, isn't it? And and to boot, like, you're right, Sylvia Jeffries, lovely woman, you know, did a big stint in, in Brisbane uh, on Nine News there, comes down, does the whole shebang on the Today Show, filling in. All of a sudden, when she gets tapped on the shoulder, hey, you're on the uh, the bench, not only does she become a celebrity, but her private life becomes public. Yeah. Uh, and the news that she's dating Peter Stefanovic becomes uh, not only uh, gossip mag fodder, but the source of great hilarity for <laughs> older brother Carl. And does he does he bring that up on air? Yeah, oh, look uh, when because Peter has recently come home from from being in the European Bureau. That's right. And, uh, my friend Tom Steinhardt is, is Tom Steinford has taken over that job. Mm. So they, uh, when Peter got off the plane in Sydney. There was a welcoming committee for him and cameras and all of that sort of thing. It was probably the same Channel 9 cameraman who spied on uh, Kerry Packer, oh, spied on Jamie Packer and Miranda Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's a, just an inside job at Channel 9. They're just making themselves yeah. the story. Oh, totally. Look, and that was accidental. He just parked at the airport because that was close enough to where he lived. He didn't know Peter was going to be there. It was chance. That's right. That's right. I mean, when I was doing Hungry Beast, did anybody make jokes about my relationship with Mark Fennell. No, no, no one did. No one, no one made jokes. It's unfair, really. It's unfair. It's unfair. There is more news. This week, the ABC aired an all-female panel episode of Q&A. Hosted by Annabelle Crabb, the show included guests such as Jermaine Greer, Julie Bishop, and Yasmin abdel Magyed. And for the most part, the conversation polite, inclusive, interesting, and intelligent. Misogynists were concerned that the lack of masculinity on the panel would create some kind of space-time vortex and cause the sky to fall in, but all fears were quickly assuaged with the realisation Greer had bigger balls than most men that appear on the program. She's just really entertaining, Jermaine Greer. And yep. she, she is a keen observer of the human, the human condition and <laughs> she, she finds the truth in any situation and just... And and just like niggles in it, like uses her uses her words to kind of facilitate that truth out. I I have a friend, and we were at the uh, we were at the opera house once, and um, and he sat next to her, and my friend is is quite you know he's a very handsome man, but he's also bald, and he wears a hat all the time, uh, and uh, and then she, she then at the interval at this event at the opera house we were talking to him and and then Jermaine Greer came up to talk to us and and then she just turned to him and said why do you wear your hat in the opera house is it because you're bald and it was just one of those moments that no one ever talks about my friend being bald but she did and it was I didn't laugh, but I thought it was uh, hilarious at the time. And I, I, I have to admire Jermaine Greer for that. She just, she's great at just uh, at facilitating the truth in the most awkward way possible. Oh, and she did that in spades on this episode of Q&A by 
uh, launching, I guess, in part at Julie Bishop, who had spoken at length about uh, the, the federal government uh, and the opposition, their combined attempts at seeking clemency for uh, uh, the two Bali Nine ringleaders, let's just call them that, who are facing execution in Indonesia. Uh, and then somehow it, the conversation moved on to the, the Free the Nipple campaign that, that has taken up on the internet. Uh, and Jermaine Greer launched in and asked uh, Julie Bishop if she would uh, bear her nipples on the internet if it would free uh, Sukumaran and Chan, to which howls of derision, uh, how, could she, how could she dare suggest such a thing? Uh, I thought it was just one of those perfect Jermaine Greer moments. <laughs> wow, that's full on. What was her position on, um, on the Bali Nine executions? What did she say? I, I missed exactly what she said. Yeah. I will offer that. I believe that she was of the opinion that uh, uh, they shouldn't die. However, they did a horrific thing. Yeah, well, I think it's it's kind of funny like that that whole thing. I I, I dis- it's kind of funny how this is like the first time Australians have been on death row that in, in an international situation that we've cared about. You know, it's kind of um, it's 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 very. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know what's driving this this so hard now like it's a very um yeah it's so interesting it's very interesting we we cared about barlow and chambers in the 80s though just probably not to the same level yeah maybe maybe this is just the high prof the high profileness of about it and you know uh jacinda campbell when she came out to to say well you know it was their foreign it's a foreign country and that's their law (laughs) 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 and you know they're they're heroin dealers uh, let's, not forget, com- let's not forget that. And how the media and how social media piled on top, top of her, I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Yeah, well, like, look, if, if you say something that's popular these days, you'll be retweeted. If you don't, then you'll be pilloried. I think that's the rule. Can I just say now how much I hate racism? I hate racism. Dan, that's outrageous. I hate it. That's two controversial things you've said so far. We're not even 10 minutes in. <laughs> The final news item, both the Seven and Nine networks courted controversy last week by airing a paid advertisement the night of the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras. The ad from the Australian Marriage Forum claimed allowing marriage equality meant inequality for kids, meaning kids not being allowed to have a chance to have both a mum and a dad were disadvantaged and that by having two loving parents of the same gender, kids missed out. The ad also indirectly suggests that all single parents are godless hate bearers who are similarly disadvantaging their kids. While the ad has every right to be played in a free and democratic society, Mox TV Talk strongly recommends those responsible be immediately fired into the sun. Oh, now, this- man. I, I mean, I, knew, I saw this on Facebook, and mm. that's the kind of the interesting thing. I was in America, and I saw this on Facebook. I didn't watch <laughs> the ad, but I saw the uproar over it. Um, how dis- that's pretty disgusting. Can I just say, how bad is homophobia? Homophobia is terrible. So bad. That's it. We're, we're in all sorts of trouble. Um, the interesting thing, Dan, is, is that uh, the Australian Marriage Forum, who, and I believe that uh, uh, Reverend Fred Niles, whatever they call themselves, This Week Party, yeah. uh, are, are big supporters of the Australian Marriage Forum. They're very squarely anti-marriage equality. Right. Um, the ad was well-produced. It included a doctor. Of he looked like a GP, and his name on the super was Doctor, whatever his name was. Yeah, um, that was very clear about that. You know, kids who don't have a mum and a dad are disadvantaged compared to other other kids that only have two mums or two dads. 
it was the most outrageous bunk and that stopped short of suggesting that the size of your head determines whether or not you're a criminal yeah well you know like that's uh it's uh, it's uh, it's really it's really tough what's worse is that they you know they used kids in that campaign who don't necessarily believe with them believe in that that of those ideals I'm sure. <laughs> there's a shot that they've used and i would have to suggest they've either got actors or they've sneakily grabbed it on the street somewhere um, of uh, two men, one of which is pushing uh, a stroller with a young girl, uh, toddler, so not a baby, but I would guess about three or four years old. And at the time they've got the shot, she's very clearly looking into the sun. So she's squinting and kind of holding her hand over her face and looking you know, pretty not happy about the situation. And that's the image that they've used over the top of you know, if you've got two dads or two mums, life isn't fun for you as a kid. Look, all I, can, all I know about gay marriage is that um, Cam and Mitchell have a baby on Modern Family and mm. they appear to get up to all sorts of hijinks. <laughs> that can't be good for kids. It can't be good for kids. It's crazy. That kind of hijinks. <laughs> so, now, ter- it, so terrible. What a, what a, you know, it, it's awful that that happens. That happens in Australia in 2015. Yeah, yeah. And congratulations to Seven and Nine for accepting the money and playing the ad. When, like, you know, I guess SBS or Channel 10, you could have opted to or not. <laughs> but let's, let's, not, let's not forget that no one watches Channel 9 and Channel... No one watches TV anyway, so it doesn't matter. Well, that's right. It's, it's an interesting situation, which does lead us, Dan, very nicely into a new segment for Monk's TV Talk. Oh! This segment is called Addendum. A what? Addendum. Addendum, addendum. Oh, I like it. Yeah. The podcast about television. Mulks TV Talk. The podcast. Well, we've got a great lineup of hilarious people today, folks. Kel, Kel, come and watch this show. It's a fascinating documentary about Australian comedy. Stop laughing. This is serious. <laughs> In Australia, we love our comedy. You look like a big fat gypsy. Thanks, Mum. And it's now some of the best in the world. I want to dance like a white man. It's more diverse than ever before. But where have our comedic voices come from? I said pet, I said pet, I said love. In this series, we chart the story of Australian comedy and celebrate the men and women who make us laugh. Oh, you've run over greenies. That's great. That's good. It's good. So, Dan, in addendum, what we like to do is show our guests uh, a promo for a new show that's coming up. In this case, it's for a three-part uh, documentary series called Stop Laughing, This is Serious. Uh-huh. And given that that's the entire context from what you've seen in that promo, I want you to give it a review. What do you think of the show? What do you think of uh, – that was Eric Banner as the narrator yep. and the people involved. I think it's going to be great. I think Australian, Australian comedy is the strongest it's been in a very, very long time. Um, we often talk about how Australian comedy – uh, is failing, how we, there's not enough Australian comedy on TV. But that promo just had many of my contemporaries on, on, in that promo mm. and Australian comedy has a long history. Um, look, I'm sure, I'm sure, Mulkey, they'll eventually get to at least one of the five shows I've been on in the last <laughs> 10 years. I'm sure they'll show at least one clip uh, from, many, from anything I've done. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they'll get to that point. Guaranteed. But then, I know regardless of uh, many of my contemporaries being in that and, uh, and, and not many uh, not many shows that I've been on being in that promo. I'm sure they get to it. I'm sure I give it five stars 
out of five, uh, pretty much. I, I reckon it's going to be great. I know, I know, actually, know the people, some people who have been shooting this mm. um, and working on this, and they speak to absolutely everyone. Didn't speak to me, but they speak to absolutely, <laughs> uh, they speak to absolutely everyone in Australia. Anyone who's uh, Australian TV royalty, uh, actual Australian TV royalty, including uh, a guy who not many people know the name of. Um, but started many people's careers in comedy. His name is John Pinder, and I know John is not well, and it's, um, I'm just very excited that he, 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 um, he's, been given, he, he's been given the chance to be interviewed for this, this, this documentary because he is such a large, large part of the Australian comedy scene um, that uh, he should be recognised for it. So in his his He's Mr. Comedy in Australia. And so I, 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 I'm just going to watch it for that guy. He's a guy who you who they wouldn't even put in the promo because no one would know who he is. So he's not going to draw viewers to it. But sure. um, I'm really excited that he's going to be part of it. So I know they hunted him down and, and had a chat with him. And, um, yeah, so it's, I'm, I'm excited for it. I reckon it's going to be great. I reckon if you're a comedy lover, you're going to love this. Yes, I, I can uh, admit to saying that I've seen the first episode of it, and it's it is really good. Is John in it? Is John Pinder in it? Uh, he, yeah, it pops up. He pops up because it's that great kind of yeah. They've obviously yeah, sat great. down with lots of people and then just cut in lots of great bits when they're talking about this part or this. How part many or this people? Part. How many people would you say they spoke to? Well, in, in the first episode that I saw, I would put it down to about at least twenty. Great, the different twenty people. Yeah, yeah. That's good. It 20. is the best comedy show or documentary about comedy in Australia not featuring Dan Elliott. Yep, 20 people. I'm just going to let my agent know. <laughs> 20, the 20 people didn't speak to me. Okay, good. Yep. All right. No worries. Um, no, that, I, I think it's going to be – I think it'll be great. So how, how did you enjoy it? You've seen it. I've only seen one of the three, and I'm, uh, I, I'll say I'm an enjoyer of Australian comedy. You are. You're a big fan. And, and I was – impressed at some of the people's recollections about like people in the industry where they thought it sat both when they joined it and as an outcome of them being in it yeah um so we hear from um oh gosh now i'm just gonna have a mental blank who's the lady that plays kath from kath and kim uh are you thinking of jane turner Yes, thank you very much. Jane is wonderfully self-deprecating, as is what I've seen her from a lot of other things. Yeah. Um, but just talks yeah, very lovingly about Kath and Kim as something that she and Gina just did that became this household thing, phenomena. Yeah. But, you uh, know, it's, it's not that, though. You know, they did it and they did it and they did it and they made it and they made it and they made it and they kept doing it and they kept doing it and they got really good at it and everybody, they put it on TV and then they put it on TV yeah. again and they went from one TV show to another TV show to their own TV show. And when, when you're a comedian and you do have, she's self-deprecating, so I'm going to big her up on her behalf uh, as someone who uh, calls themselves a comedian, uh, <laughs> you... You work on, you craft something so much and you live and breathe it all the time and that's, you put all your energies into it and and what happens is you live every beat of that character and every beat of that journey. Mm-hmm. Every time someone says, do you want to commission this or would you like to be a part of this or we've got some money for this, would you, do you want to be a part of that? That is, that is like a milestone stuff in all, in every comedian's career. So she might be self-deprecating about it, but I can tell you she, both those girls uh, and Rick McKenna uh, are, are mm. so smart and clever about the way they've gone about um, seeing their longevity uh, of, of their comedy careers, but not only their comedy careers, they're, they're an industry. You know, they, mm. they're, those girls are, 
are an industry unto their own, like, much, like, much like Working Dog and those guys. Yes. I, the thing that underwhelmed me the most about it, uh, and I look forward to hearing what other people think, certainly just off the, uh, the trailer, which I'll put the entire clip in the show notes, Eric Banner just sounds really underwhelmed to be narrating it. <laughs> he's very busy. He's got, you know, he's got Black Hawk Down 3 coming up. Uh, and, you know, it's very, it's very hard for Eric Banner to keep abreast of everything that's going on. <laughs> it's almost like who's the most famous comedian that's made it overseas not being a comedian anymore? Let's get him back to, to come and talk about something that he used to be a big part of and now has nothing to do with. Yeah, I mean, well, he hasn't done anything since uh, Star Trek. Uh, so, I don't know. <laughs> Poor guy. No, I, no, he's but he's really busy. He's so busy in in Hollywood. Like he's got so much going on. But is he producing? I mean, I, 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 is, is there another film coming out? There's, uh, I think he's got like three or four films in post production or three pre production. Like he's got a lot going on, including Knights mm-hmm. of the Round Table with King Arthur. Oh my goodness! I think yeah. I hope there's hijinks where an African American is sent back in time and has to sit at the table for some reason. No, do you know what? I hope there's hijinks where uh, Poida gets to sit at the table. <laughs> Just Ray Martin randomly <laughs> serves the king a drink for Nights no the, reason. Nights at the Round Table with Poida. <laughs> or reckon we just go out and kick their butts. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Dan. I think it's a good opportunity now for us to settle down, take a seat on the couch, settle, you know, grab the pillow, hold it to your chest. It's time to hear about what you think about television, where it started, its place for you. Welcome to Couched Time. <laughs> Mogs TV Talk, the podcast. Now, Dan, what is your earliest memory of television? My earliest memory of television. I remember watching a lot of Play School as a kid. We used to tape it, and I remember breaking VHS drawers to get a VHS out of the machine to play it and getting VHS tapes stuck in the VHS player. Uh, because I used to put them in with sticks and things like that because I, didn't, because I was very young and didn't know how to operate a VHS play. So I remember those things. Uh, I remember being addicted to uh, seeing myself on TV. <laughs> my uncle uh, my uncle had a gigantic VHS video oh, great. a huge one, um, and he used to bring it out at um, Christmas time and Easter time and any time the family was together and, and record me and my little brother doing jokes. Um, so somewhere those tapes still exist. And I remember my first gig on television was uh, on Romper Room, uh, and I went on to Romper Room, and I remember distinctly not finishing my milk and feeling very embarrassed that I was the only one sitting at the table, still trying to finish my milk while everyone else was playing. And Miss Helena was very patient with me. Nice. <laughs> and it all, came, it all came full circle last year where I was on Studio 10 and Miss, Miss mm. Helena was a guest. And <gasps> so I was hosting Studio 10 and Miss Helena came in and guest hosted for the, for the, for the day. That was a thrill. Did she hand you a glass of milk? <laughs> no, no, no. But I haven't had a gig since on Australian TV. So maybe <laughs> maybe um, she has the power to start careers and end careers. And that's that's where we're at today. <laughs> yeah, the Romper Room Mafia are massive. That's right, yeah. They'll, they'll get you. Oh, Mr. Doobie, don't cross Mr. Doobie. <laughs> when Mr. Doobie becomes Mr. Don't Be. Oh, yeah, Mr. Don't Be. He's got a sting, Mr. Don't Be. <laughs> I'm looking forward to all of those early tapes and that footage appearing on uh, Stop Laughing 2, This Is Serious, uh, The Dan Illich Years. <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah. Well, I loved I loved comedy uh, on TV as a kid growing up. I loved Fast Forward and I loved Comedy Company. Um, 
and I loved uh, I loved a little bit of Full Frontal, the first good season of Full Frontal, and I mm. fell in love in in year five and year six with The Late Show. And I discovered yep. The Late Show by staying up late one night as a kid because that was naughty. And I, I found a little TV that my dad used to watch, um, you know, in the living room. So I stole it and put it in my bedroom under the covers and I could I could <laughs> turn it on and, and I was flicking through and I discovered it very late at night. And I thought, I don't know what these people are doing, but it is fun and I want to do it. And yeah. what's, what's really cool about, you know, all those shows is I've worked with, over my career, I've had the opportunity to work with some of my heroes in that world. So uh, I've had uh, jobs where Glenn Robbins was my boss. I've had jobs where um, where, uh, where Andrew Denton has been my boss. I've had mm. many jobs where Andrew Denton has been my boss. And, you know, it's those moments like that I go, fuck, I'm so lucky to have had great uh, mentors like this uh, in my career and, and help me do stuff. And, and give me the confidence to pursue what I like to do. And um, uh, Glenn and Andrew are particularly excellent people. And if you get a chance, uh, I, I, this is a cross-podcast recommendation, if you get mm-hmm. a chance to listen to Glenn Robbins on uh, Willosophy, yes. uh, Will Anderson's podcast, everything he kind of talks about in terms of what he thinks about comedy in terms of comedy math is absolutely bang on. And, and all those lessons he kind of mentions about timing and how you feel as a comedian and you know what you should and shouldn't do what trying to control your ego over your intellect when you're writing jokes um and trying to be be objective on your own work you know ask yourself you know why are you doing certain jokes for a certain reason is it to Mm. is it for a great joke is it for a great idea or is it just to kind of boost your own ego you know all these things are really important and he kind of has this wonderful wonderful kind of comedy maths um, and if you're an aspiring comedian, that's the only podcast you need to listen to. Well, there are many, but that one will help you immensely. Yes, interesting that you bring up Glenn Robbins because uh, in, a, I guess, a homage to This Is Your Life, we've got a message for you from him right now, Dan. What? No, I'm no. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been great though. Uh, it, it's interesting, right? Because I, I hear what you say. I agree wholeheartedly on the philosophy thing. I think that that is a, not only a great series to listen to, but Glenn's discussion with Will, yeah, uh, is a, just a masterclass. Denton gives him one as well. Like yes. eventually, uh, you know, that would be great because not uh, might be tricky for Andrew because of his relationship with with Will, uh, being his former boss and things like that. But you know, when, when Andrew is ready, I'm sure he will give a very awesome. He will give an also an awesome um, discussion. Um, and he's a guy who such a tender man that is, um, and he's very cl- clever and always wants the best out of you and always demands the best out of you. And, um, and I, I hope that, um, you know, with the lessons I've learned from many of those, uh, older statesmen of comedy in Australia that I'm, I'm now kind of passing those down to other comedians who I work with. So I try and, I try and, you know, uh, bring I try and reach my hand down and bring other people up as well when I'm when I have the opportunity to and that always gives me a thrill in pass, passing on passing on the knowledge. Well, you mentioned that you were able to steal a television from the lounge room and, and br- drag it in other covers in in your room. Yeah, it was a very small it was a very small compact TV that um uh that that Dad used to have. Yeah. What was the place of TV at home? Was it? It sounds like you had a couple of, of sets to start. TV, I mean, oh, TV was like TV used to be everything. Like I, I programmed my life around TV. I would, 
I would negotiate with my mum to stay up to 7.30 so I could watch Hey Dad. I would negotiate with my mum to, to stay up so I could watch Full House. I would, you know, I, I remember, oh, and like I would, I would religiously tape the late show. I would be doing things on Saturday nights, um, uh, uh, like rehearsals for theatre and stuff like that. So I would tape the late show on Saturday nights uh, on my rehearsal nights and get home and watch it the next day because you could not afford to turn up to school oh, the next no. day and have not watched the late show. Uh, so, Agreed. Yeah, and I loved um, I, I loved uh, taping shows. I used to tape um, the David Letterman late show mm. um, and Andrew Denton's uh, uh, Tonight shows, and I used to watch them when I got home from school. So I would I would tape them at midnight and then get home from school and watch them the next day mm-hmm. because and I would watch Letterman over and over again. I've I bloody loved it. I thought it was wonderful. What do you think about him uh, hanging up, hanging up the mic? I think it's great. I think, I mean, I think, he, I think he's felt tired for a very long time, and I think he's just kind of hung in there. Uh, I don't know why he's hung in there for so long. Um, but uh, David Letterman is one person who I really admire because his story is so excellent, and he's the kind of guy who who got, got a great platform early on in his career, mm. and he's helped other people up on that platform. And he's made other people's careers along that those lines, and I think he, I think he finds that I think he finds that quite re- rewarding too. But he's also been when he started, he was so subversive. He, you know, he subverted the entire yep. late night genre until the point where everybody else was copying him, and then he became the late night genre. <laughs> and I think that's interesting. You know, that says a lot about David Letterman. I think he's a very clever man, and um, uh, he tells his story. I don't know. Uh, maybe it was with WTF where he tells his story, but he tells his story about uh, that he used to, uh, in, in Indianapolis, the local TV station he used to work in, uh, the cameras used to pan to a diorama of Indianapolis um, and, and that would be what they would film all night from about 11 o'clock at night till 6 o'clock in the morning when the TV station would wake back up again. So that would be the clothes mm. and then they'd just have music playing over it. So that would be the clothes. So they'd just have this camera sitting on the diorama and one night <laughs> in the middle of the night he burnt the diorama down. <laughs> <laughs> he set this whole city on fire. <laughs> and I think that is just like, shit, yeah, like I get that. I've worked in TV at that age and no how how desperate and awful it is to be uh, stuck in a medium where there's absolutely no creativity. So I, I worked for Funniest Home Videos for three months before I broke down and cried and quit because uh, it was the most soul-destroying three months of my entire career. I'd given up Breakfast Radio and FBI to do it, and I always regret it was one of the biggest regrets of my wow. life. But it's just so cool to see a guy just burn down the house from the inside, <laughs> literally. It was the best. I only hope that there were some late night, uh, you know, people, insomniacs, TV watchers that had turned on the local thing. <gasps> the city's on fire. And it's like 911. Maybe some stoners of Indianapolis. <laughs> it's crazy talk. Oh, wow. What, <laughs> apart from the aforementioned late show and, and, you know, the comedy stuff, what else really grabbed your attention? What is the stuff? Like if I said to you, what's your favourite TV show of all time? What have you got? Of all time? Mm. It's a very good question. I think TV shows, much like music, act as a soundtrack to your life or act as important cultural touchstones of your life. Mm -hmm. And I have to say probably the DJ and Late Show. 
was mm-hmm. probably the most important TV show. Um, I think everything that they do has set the tone for a lot of the stuff that I do now. Um, yeah, and a lot of people forget that that our memories of that show consists of three VHS of a couple of hours of great jokes that they've cherry-picked and put together in yeah. the best bits of The Late Show. No one ever remembers the horrible bits of The Late Show because <laughs> they had the foresight to not put them out. Yeah. And this was a show that was live to air every Saturday night put on by kids <laughs> mm. from the ABC at 10.30 at night. and. That doesn't happen anymore, and yes. that won't happen ever again. Um, there, there will be no network brave enough to ever do that again. The only place you can do that now is YouTube, um, and people do do that now. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's really exciting, and like it's, it's this whole brave new world of broadcasting is is, is kind of exciting, and you do see um, kids who do sell out um, Melbourne town halls for comedy festival and things like that because of their YouTube following, and I think. Show, a chaotic show like uh, like the Late Show was the voice of you know my youth and my generation growing up, and we kind of relied on them to tell us how we should think, and I think that's really interesting. And and like on TV now, there's no one that kind of does that for a younger generation uh, in such a in such a way other than like you kind of got your Daily Shows and your Colberts and mm. your in your big, big marquee shows like that. But I think, I don't know, I, I feel like The Late Show was a, a serious cultural phenomenon that I don't know has been, I don't know, I, I feel like it hasn't been repeated since. It's It's been really wonderful to hear interviews and hear even on podcast conversations, uh, people like Jane and Rob and Santo uh, and Tom, you know, four of the, the core cast of The Late Show and, and key to the working dog uh, business that lives on, talk about their memories of the show and how they just look at it and remember it being entirely anarchic, uh, where s- sketches were written in the minutes before you know the on-air light went on, and it was for the, from their perspective clear that we didn't know our lines. All we could remember was the entry to the, the sketch and maybe the gag if we were lucky, and no idea how to get there once we were standing in front of the audience. Yeah, um, yeah. just some crazy stuff. But you're right, so compelling because yeah. they were willing to stretch the boundaries and, you know, do and say some stuff and have moments of stand-up, have, let's call them loosely scripted sketch comedies and, and taped sketches and things like uh, Shit Scared um, yeah. and those kinds of things. And then let's just have this broad sketch where we've got most of the team at a table and then someone from the audience brought in yeah, uh, just really to good. add a little bit of chaos to the process. I mean, they, they played, they had fun with everything. I mean, they played, they played, they undercut everything they did and I thought that was, you know, that's really great. And, and I tried to kind of do that in a way similar to, to that sort of vibe with um, a show I did on stage called Irrational Fear and we tried to kind of 
give that sense of play, that sense of anything could happen. Yeah. It, the nights that it was good was was those kinds of nights, you know, where we had a lot, we had a lot of variety in the show, and we had uh, a lot of a, like a trusted team of performers who all knew each other and knew each other's boundaries to kind of hmm. um, cause trouble on stage. And so, you know, it, it's just one of those things where um, it's just it's just the thrill, you know. What inspired me to start Irrational Fear, uh, which is a show I did for three years in Sydney, uh, all, all around Australia, really. Mm. Um, uh, it was a satirical comedy show. Um, it, it was kind of, um, I don't know, it's hard to describe. It's um, it's kind of like, a, I, guess a, I guess, a daily show or a, or a Colbert or something like that, but yeah. with, um, with a panel of comedians all doing our own kind of stuff. Um, and and um, But we wanted to give it that late show vibe. Um, what was going to say? I was going to say something. Oh yeah. So the, re- the the main inspiration for that was, and the main inspiration for kind of getting up and starting a room like uh, before I did Rational Fear, I did a show uh, called Comicide. It was a sketch comedy club night in Sydney where the only rule was you could get up. If you got up on stage to perform, you would have had to have been at the writing room as well. Uh-huh. Um, and so if you didn't write, you didn't perform. If you wrote, you're allowed to perform and everything every two weeks had to be new. Uh, and the reason why I started these shows, I was inspired by the opening credits of Jamoan. Oh. I don't know if you've ever seen the opening credits of Jamoan, but all it is is like Bob Franklin, Gina and Jane, uh, Jamoan and Glenn on a, on a pub stage somewhere doing a show. Yeah. And I watched that and I was like, shit, all they're doing is shit in a, in a bloody pub. And putting it on like a show, like a TV show. We can do that. And so um, back in like, what, 2005, 2006, mm. there wasn't like a sketch comedy scene in Sydney. Um, now it's like it's everyone, everyone's doing it. Yep. It's, 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 it's the comedy du, comedy du jour. Um, and so Comicide really kicked that off as, as, a, as a kind of, to kind of, create that anarchic vibe on stage regularly every two weeks and it was like so much fun to do so i mean those things um i kind of i've always forget about comicide but that's that was a really important part of my comedy stuff you mentioned that youtube is one of the few places or the only place now that provides opportunity for people to to deliver that kind of either anarchic comedy or or you know edgy you know sort of fly by the seat of your pants kind of stuff and that is effectively what you're doing now as a paid job, isn't it, for Al Jazeera Plus? <laughs> yeah, my stuff is uh, is kind of – I'm still kind of um, battling with how polished my stuff is. Like I'm, I'm still kind of uh, – with AJ Plus, I'm, I really want to bring a sensibility to it that it could have been a, like mm-hmm. a major broadcaster, you know, putting it out. Um, but I'm, st- I'm still at the same time trying to craft it for an online audience. And generally what that means is um, putting your – rather – than putting your best two jokes at the end of the sketch. You put your best joke at the front of the sketch because hmm. people will judge your whole piece in the first five seconds. Yeah. So if you can make them laugh in the first five seconds, then you can keep them until the end. And so uh, and there's always text at the front of a sketch. You know, like there's, there's like these little rules now that people are like learning um yes uh through trial and error about what's going to keep an audience watching and like how what's going to get an audience to watch in the first place so uh yeah so it's one of those things that i'm just kind of um relearning so i'm kind of getting rid of the broadcast mindset and trying to figure out my head into an online mindset 
And um, yeah, no, uh, AJ Plus is a wonderful experience in terms of being able to experiment with a bunch of stuff. And I get yes. a, I get immense freedom there where I can kind of, if I can make it for nothing, then I'm allowed to make it pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> if I need to, if I need to uh, pay for a prop, then um, I have to I have to figure out a creative way to get that prop. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's just like working at the ABC. Uh, no, it's kind of funny in that regard where AJ Plus is, it, it, I get paid quite well, but the resources aren't as much as what I would, what I'm expect, what I usually expect. But throughout my entire career doing comedy on TV, I haven't paid, I haven't been paid very, I've been paid well, but I haven't been paid very well. Like, like when you imagine how much you get paid for a job in television, yeah. um, just divide it by three and that's how much you actually get paid um as a comedian of my caliber anyway so i'm not a very good comedian like i'm sure the comedians on that abc show have been paid very well because uh, <laughs> they're real comedians um so the the, the thing is like if you it, it, uh, if you work for the abc or something you have the privilege of using the abc's resources and you have the yeah. privilege of using um uh, all the might and power that um, that the ABC production and ABC production comes with, um, but you might not get paid very well, and that's just that's just the concession that you make. And whereas if you where I'm working now, I'm getting paid um, very well, probably probably more than I have um, in, in any other media job I've ever had so far. But I just don't have the resources to to do stuff. So it's just one of those things, you know, swings and roundabouts. So, sure. What do you say to people who think that that kind of uh, anarchic media is easy? Yeah, you know well, it's um, it is easy in some respect. Like, but it's easy for me now because I've done it for so long, mm-hmm. and I can just do it. Some people can do it. Some people try to do it, and they kind of miss by only a little bit. Um, If you if you really want to do it, you can you can do it. But um, being good in this job mm-hmm. requires you to fail so often. You need to you need to fail so much before you get good at this job. And in anything, whether it's stand up or doing doing sketches or or anything, you just need to fail so much because the failure hurts so much that you never want to fail again. <laughs> so you work out ways to protect yourself from that failure. So you, you're always trying to figure out like what's going to make a piece fly, what's going to make a piece sing, what's going to be true to true to telling a story. How how can you tell something more truthfully? How can you get more honest about an idea or what's more authentic? And you're always searching for those things that are that's going to make something work. Mm. Um, so, so much failure is required. The best bit of advice in showbiz that I've ever gotten was when I was starting out, I was probably about 18. Um, I did, I made like a corporate video for Apple and I worked for the PR company at the time and I was enamored by this PR lady and, and her production skills. And I was like, Oh man, we're making films. How cool is that? We're making sketch comedy. Wow. Wow. And, um, I, and I said, Oh, how can I come and work for you? Can I come and work for you? Can I come and learn from you? What, what advice do you give me? And she said, yeah, you need to make stuff every day and make as many mistakes as you can. And the more mistakes you make, the better you'll get. And that's wow. that is like simply hands down the best advice. Well, it's certainly paid off so far for you, Dan. The stuff that you've been producing for AJ Plus uh, has been outrageously good, very entertaining, a good sting. 
<laughs> it's it's been awesome, and, and I want to encourage people to go and, and if you're not already subscribed to the AJ Plus uh, YouTube channel and follow Dan because he's a rabid self promoter uh, on Twitter. <laughs> you'll you'll get all of the stuff there. I know. Unfortunately, I'm for, unfortunately I have to now because. Like if I was working on a TV show, it doesn't matter because you make a TV show and it goes. But yeah. now I'm making online content, I've got to tweet it like ten times, <laughs> you know, when it comes out. So I know the half life of a tweet a tweet is like forty seconds. So mm. uh, I will be tweeting every eighty seconds. You know, <laughs> it, it's very cool. Check out his series uh, from a, a recent conservative conference in the US, where he asks some very pointed questions: What do conservatives think of people like Sarah Palin, Jeb Bush? Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton. Uh, God bless America. They are not backward in coming forward with some of their opinions of these people. What do conservatives think about Muslims was my favourite. Oh, yeah. And then the holy war thing that came out of that, <laughs> thanks to uh, Bill O'Reilly. Just delightful. <laughs> I just put up today, I don't know if you've seen Mulkey, but uh, I just put up um, uh, Greek, Greece launches a Kickstarter. So you'll have to watch oh, that one. Excellent. This is going to be great. Dan, given that the, the whole cut and thrust of you know, really, it's about life sourcing clicks now. It's about people getting likes and subscribers and all of those sorts of things. Yeah. When you're creating this kind of media that you want in part to dodge, to, to step tiptoe around that line that is, is courting controversy, that if it goes one way, will become shareable content that millions of people would watch. And if it goes the other yeah. way, it will be outrageous content that people will rail against that millions of people will watch. Yeah. What do you what what advice given that you have been in the middle of a media storm yourself? How do people get through that? That's why I love AJ Plus, working for AJ Plus, because it um it allows me to use my entire skill set, which is <laughs> annoying people is my number one skill set. Uh so and getting people to talk about something is my number one skill set. And I've been working in, you know, in activism and, and advertising and uh, and comedy for so long that I've really honed these skills over the years. And so now what I have to do is bring all these skills together in, in order to entertain people, educate people, and either make them uh, talk about something positively or get them really upset about something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> either way, they'll talk about it. Either way, that's a click and a like and a watch and a flop follow and a, and a, and a, and a subscribe. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where uh, we, I, every time I do create something, I do try and imagine the upworthy headline in my t- in my head. <laughs> you know, I try and figure out what the offer is going to be. So here is a sneak peek of one that's coming out. Um, hopefully, I so <clears throat> right now I'm in Washington DC, but my colleagues are in San Francisco. It's where I'm normally based, and I wanted to do something on the Apple Watch, but unfortunately I'm here, so I mm. outsourced it. So hopefully, um, it's come off all right, and hopefully it's funny, and hopefully it makes the point the right point which is uh, basically the sketch is um, the Apple Watch reviewed by the homeless people of San Francisco. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. So, That's awesome. So, so we're just taking like the biggest, shiniest product launch in Silicon Valley mm. and asking the homeless people of Silicon Valley what they think about this excessive fucking trinket that no one fucking wants so so hopefully i don't know what it's i don't know what the footage is like i don't know what it is but i pitched it months ago during ces um and so we, we i guess i think we found out how i think hopefully it'll work hopefully it'll be really it fun, could so. go so many ways i mean it could you... either be really good or it could be really bad but just in my head that's the conversation that needs to be had you know that you know it, the conversation is around our obsession with this tech mm. and 
and but then and the people who are being pushed out of their own lives because of this tech. So yeah. in San Francisco, there's an enormous uh, there's an enormous kind of um, a real estate market boom where rent is so sky high oh. that people who've been living there for years are now on the streets, yeah. and uh, and so that's kind of due to all these um, extremely wealthy tech companies kind of moving into San Francisco. And you've got this point, you've got this thing happening where Silicon Valley is about 30 Ks out of San Francisco. But because Silicon Valley is so bloody boring, all the people who like, who are young and cool like to live in San Francisco. So they live there and all these tech companies like Apple and Google and LinkedIn and, and Salesforce and, yeah. and Yahoo and, and anyone um, <laughs> have these luxury leather bound coaches that go into San Francisco, pick up the workers and drive them the 30 Ks out of the city to, to um, Silicon Valley. And so, so people can live in, in San Francisco, but the thing about San Francisco is that it's tiny and it's, it's on, it's got water on three sides. Mm. And so the prices just go up and up and up, uh, which means that people who've been living there for years and years and years on, you know, mega on normal incomes on normal incomes, what we would consider normal, just cannot afford to live there because it's so astronomically priced. It's, it's unbelievable. Crazy. And it, it's interesting too, because of course then, uh, you know, you'd expect that homeless people will respond, you know, oh, it's crazy, what do you need this for and all of that sort of stuff. You'll probably get some people go, wow, it looks nice, it's shiny and yeah. they fall into that atypical American, you know, let's pump it up because, hey, this is going to be on the internet and I might get to be a spokesman for it so I might as well turn it into an infomercial. Yeah. Um, and then there's also this, uh, you know, I'm going to call it abhorrent subculture <laughs> that has been built where I'm rich and too lazy to line up to go and buy an, an Apple Watch. So I'm going to pay a homeless man to sit in line for me so that I can then just turn up five minutes before the doors open and go and buy my Apple Watch. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I look forward that, to seeing it. Well, I don't, well, we'll see. You know, so that's like an idea. Like that's how you – so the German of an idea like that starts off with, well, this is a fuck situation. How can we talk about this fuck situation? Yeah. Um, that's how I kind of do it. I, I guess my comedy – lately, probably the last five or six years, my comedy has really involved bringing delight to human suffering, yeah. uh, <laughs> if you will. So I kind of like to get people to laugh and think about kind of the problems that we're faced with um, day to day. And so I try and I try and do that in a, in a funny way and hopefully a way that people will have a conversation around it. Yeah. So. Fair enough. So as a last question to you, given that television these days is such a broad term, it's no longer just about the glowing CRT tube in the corner. Uh, it's your flat panel, whether that's your uh, tablet, laptop, whatever, uh, or the big panel screen that's got Netflix on it or all of those kinds of things. What do you watch now and how do you watch it? Well, I mean... I don't watch. I don't watch any TV. Like, um, yeah, I don't watch any TV in the traditional sense. Mm -hmm. I watch it all online. I'm watching. I read a whole bunch of websites. Sure. Facebook. Facebook delivers me a lot of my video. Um, uh, I, I go to curators like Dig. Dig often put up every day great content mm -hmm. that I want to watch and embrace. Um, I torrent. <laughs> TV shows that are in the zeitgeist. Um, 
and I hulu a lot yep. or occasionally. I occasionally hulu, you know, like it's one of those things where uh, I occasionally do it. I view from I view from America. I use actually a VPN to go the other way. Yep. I use a VPN so I can watch shows on the ABC. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when, I'm in, when I'm in America, I somehow can't get Michael Hing's Good Game show. I've been trying to try and watch Michael Hing's show on on, on iView, but it won't let me. But other shows I get to watch. Um, so yeah, I, it's all through my laptop. You know, it's all through it's all through the internet. And um, I do have a Chrome. When I was living in Bondi, when I was living in Sydney, I did have a Chromecast. And I and when I wanted to sit down and watch a movie, I would Chromecast a movie. Mm. I would through Google Play through my through my laptop to the to the box to the TV. So um, I like Chromecast. I'm a big fan of it. I think that's a really cool platform for the future. Mm. Um, I'm excited about uh, Netflix coming to Australia. I think that's really great. Um, I'm excited about the competitors starting up like Stan. I think that's really cool. Um, it's really exciting that the only sitcom in, on Australian TV that's been made by uh, some of the best comedy filmmakers in Australia uh, lately is called Plonk mm. uh, and it's about a wine, it's a wine show yes. and it is, it's on Stan and the only reason why it's on Stan is because we don't have a population big enough to enjoy an esoteric um, comedy show. Mm. Like we all talk about girls and we all talk about, uh, we all talk about, you know, Key and Peel, and we all see those shows online, but not many people get to talk about Plonk or catering, for instance. Catering yes. is a great web series that has popped up on YouTube. That was sponsored by Screen Australia and that was um, put on by Kate McCartney and Kate McLennan, two of my good mates, and they'd been working on that for um, a good year or so. And so that's a really good example of, you know, we do have talent in Australia and we are really funny and we can make a sitcom, um, but not all sitcoms have to have Dave Hughes in them, you know, yeah. and not all sitcoms have to be a Chris Lilly uh, extension uh, of of something he's made up in his head um, five minutes ago. So it's <laughs> yes. like, you know, there's a great opportunity to embrace a whole bunch of comedians who are out there who are doing great work across a whole different bunch of platforms. And audiences, if it's good, audiences will find you. Yeah, look, and agree, and I want to endorse the catering show. The two Kates have done a stellar job. If you still haven't caught up with that, uh, their um, Thermomix uh, episode has pulled a million hits already. It's done massive business for them. Uh, so it's worth checking out going see it. Another one along the lines of what Dan was talking about, there's a bunch of four young guys out of Brisbane called Collective Noun who are every week putting out their own little comedy sketch segment thing. Oh, yeah. And they're definitely worth checking out as well. Collective oh, also um, Auntie Donna that people should check out as well. If, yep. if you haven't seen Auntie Donna, that's, some, that's incredible sketch comedy. It's so funny. Yeah. Those guys out of Melbourne, just so funny. Endorsed. Collective Now, I'm going to write that down, Alki. They will be just thrilled for the mention, let alone the fact that you're going to chase them up, Dan. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to like them and follow them immediately. That's that's my first thing to do. M-O-L-K. Mox TV Talk, the podcast. Wonderful, Dan. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dan. It's It's been a wonderful chat, super insightful, and I completely appreciate your time. If people want to follow, haunt, stalk you on the internet, how do they do that? Uh, they can find me on, uh, on my social media presences on Facebook and Twitter. My blog has been hacked, um, so I don't know how. <laughs> it's been hacked by, like, some Russian hackers. Uh, right. If you go to danillick.com, it is like, I don't know what's on it, and I don't know how to fix it. I've tried Squarespace, but it's just too hard to bake a website these days. Uh, where's Microsoft front page? <laughs> I'm, good at, I'm really good at Microsoft front page. 
Back I in just the want day. to make a web. I just want to make HTML and Microsoft front page and upload it. But my, my <laughs> so don't go to danielink.com. It's it's dead. Um, go find me on Twitter and uh, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, also follow AJ Plus. Mm. Um, if you like your news international um, and you like it uh, quick and interesting, uh, AJ Plus is putting out uh, hourly content yes. uh, throughout the day and updating you on all the stories you need to know about. And it's um. It's uh, it's really cool, particularly if you're young and you don't have time to um, get across the news like an old person does. Then um, like us on Facebook and Twitter, and download our app and um, enjoy us that way. And it's great content too. It's not all comedy, like we've talked about. Some of the stuff Dan does is is very funny or with a point. There is actual real news considered and delivered as a part of across the day with what AJ Plus do. Yeah, no, we, we do some really amazing. Um, AJ Plus does some really amazing stuff, and uh, and you look at it and you go. Wow, that is incredible! It's like it's like um, it's kind of like Vice, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't say that in a bad way; I say that in a really good way. Like it's it's really engaging and interesting, and there's um, there's a lot of it. So if you our presenters are really good, and our research researchers are really good, and um, and yeah, join us. We'd love to. We'd love to have you watch our stuff. Yes, get involved, people. Make sure that you are. Uh... Follow Dan on, on Twitter and, and Facebook and all of those things. Tell him that you heard him on the Mox TV Talk podcast and what you thought of him and his uh, trip down memory lane and, and all of the, uh, the excellent things that Dan has shared with us. Thank you so much for that, Dan. No worries. By the time, by the time I get back to Australia, maybe I'll, uh, I'll have graduated to Australian TV royalty. One final question, Dan. <laughs> Did you get asked by your former boss to appear on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here? You know, you should definitely uh, follow me on Facebook and Twitter, uh, okay. and uh, I always always need new followers. <laughs> this has been the Mulk TV Talk podcast. My name is Steve Mulk. You can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, all of those things. Dot uh, slash Mulk TV Talk. People, I'm loving your feedback. Thank you for supporting uh, the rebooted Mulk TV Talk podcast. We're still here. We're still doing the thing. Good night. Good night. Kalimera, Patrioti. Over the next two minutes, I want to talk to you about something that will keep your interest up, but put our interest down. Greece. It is a Mediterranean democracy, consisting of over 2,000 islands and 4,000 British backpackers. We have a long history of creating some revolutionary ideas. Democracy. Philosophy. Yani. We were doing excess body hair before hipsters, and we were doing same-sex everything before it was cool. And also, lamb on a spit, we invented it. The alarm clock, we invented it. The Olympics, we invented it. Our history of innovation has put us on the map, which we also invented. But it could all come to a dramatic halt. You see, after inventing everything, we got tired and rested on our laurels, which we also invented. And now because we haven't invented anything in a long time, we owe the world 371 billion euros. We were this close to inventing the iPod, but you know, it was a sunny day and there was free ouzo in Syntagma Square, so... Mm. Some people said to me, but if you didn't smash so many plates, you'd be able to pay off the debt quicker. And I say, yes, but if we didn't smash the plates, we'd have to pay someone to wash them up. No? Some people complain, they go, oh, perhaps we should rein in spending, stop tax avoidance and corruption. And I say, here, take this little envelope of cash, which we invented, and they never complain again. And that's where you come in. With just a little help from you, we can get back to inventing things when you donate to our Greek starter. You don't have to go home empty-handed. Here are the rewards. Bronze level. 
For 100 euro, you'll get a personal Efhari store from a Greek of your choice. It could be Ariana Huffington or Uncle Jesse or anyone whose name ends in Opolos, whether they're Greek or not. For 100,000 euro, you could live your dream of being a backup dancer in Eurovision. Anyone can do it, even if you are old or young or something else. Silver medal donors! For every $100 million donation, you can become the owner of some high-class Olympic venues. They have only been used by one Olympic Games, and some seats were never used. Gold medal donors! For 10 billion euro or more, you can buy the naming rights to our beautiful country. Imagine your name here, Steve, Equatorial Germany, Merkelanos, or even Igris. Come on, Apple, give us some cash, huh? In 2015, help Greece finish what we started in 447 BC. If for listening, and remember, Greece is the word. Ah, words! Another thing we invented. Ah! <laughs>